Recording live from the Hoban Law Group here in Denver, Colorado, I'm your host, Eric Singular. We're sitting alongside president and founder of the Hoban Law Group, Bob Hoban. Today we're talking about post-COVID cannabis investment, and we are joined by the president and founder of Viridian Cannabis Advisors, Scott Griper. Scott, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you so much. Good to be with you guys. Well, Scott, we've talked about investment on the Hoban Minute uh, a good deal, but we've never talked to somebody with the amount of experience that you have and the analytics and data that you are bringing to the table vis-a-vis the deal tracker. So I would love if you would just give us an introduction to uh, Viridian and the work you are doing. You've been doing it for years and years and years now to produce excellent investment data on the industry. Sure. Well, um, we launched our firm, Viridian Capital Advisors, in June of 2014. Um, we believe we were the first FINRA and SEC licensed investment banking and advisory practice in the U.S. legal cannabis industry. We were quite early. Um, at another time, we'll go through the backstory of why we entered this crazy industry of ours. But, uh, you know, ultimately, we saw an industry that was had the most unique growth characteristics I've seen in my 30 years of helping to finance and build and sell emerging growth companies and new emerging markets. And that was, you had an industry, at least in 2014, that was still very much um, in the black, underground, illicit, only a handful of legal states, very much considered a startup industry, certainly by the constituent players. And against the backdrop of a new industry, an emerging industry, an illegal, federally illegal industry, and an industry that was being classified as startup, I had read a quote from Bloomberg Media in late 2013. They were valuing annual cannabis consumption in the U.S. at between 40 and $50 billion. And as a guy who tries to get ahead of new emerging markets, um, having started the first uh, Wall Street practice in Homeland Security, just a few months after the disastrous day of 9-11. I had never seen an industry that was startup in nature, product, technology, management, public companies, that had already established 40 to $50 billion of consumption and consumers that knew the product. I don't believe that's existed before. And ultimately, that's what gave us the the confidence, the courage, the moxie to launch Viridian about six years ago. And Scott, you know, we, we've talked recently, uh, we talked about just how this COVID scenario has uh, affected the industry, affected business. And it's important to remember that the commercial regulated industry, to your point, when you began, when we all began, grew up during a recession. Uh, 2008, 2009, 2010. So, you know, I'd, I'd ask you to, to comment on what I've seen so many articles 
in this industry and in our publications and our news rags talk about, and that is the recession-proof nature of this industry. Uh, I've questioned what the quote-unquote industry actually is. How can you call something recession-proof when there's not a common definition of what the cannabis industry really is and what it means, particularly as it's been globalized? But what's your take on that, the recession-proof element or, or, or commentary that we've seen out there in the press? You know, I think that term is colloquial in nature, so I think it's hard to define it empirically. But I guess, you know, as a firm that lives and breathes on data, and part of this podcast we'll talk about the capital markets activity stemming from the Viridian Cannabis Deal Tracker. But you, you guys know this as well as anybody. There is clear evidence and empirical evidence that cannabis, um, liquor, um, staples like bread, pasta, um, have seen an uptick in consumption. And I'm not talking about the hoarding that occurred in the middle of March into the end of March when, uh, you know, the U.S. was uh, becoming um, uh, more believing in that this COVID-19 was serious and that we would be going at the shelter in place. Um, but your clients and my clients in the cannabis industry recorded record sales uh, in the last few weeks of March into the first couple of weeks of April as people were hunkering down. And uh, many governors, I don't know the exact number, Bob, you probably do, 26 or 29 of the 34 legal states deemed cannabis as an essential service. So there was a shift here, socially, politically, not at the federal level, but at the state level and certainly at the consumer level, that as people were hunkering down in their homes, cannabis became one of the important staples that they needed to have at hand. And that did not necessarily translate into, yes, more investment coming into the sector, but it certainly showed investors, it certainly showed all the constituents in the industry, uh, acquirers, public companies, lawyers, service providers, governments, that cannabis is not a fungible commodity that could be replaced by something else in terms of crisis. Cannabis was the product that was being bought and consumed at record levels. And so maybe it's a surprise, maybe it's a coincidence, maybe not, that in the last three weeks, uh, when we put out the weekly Viridian Cannabis Deal Tracker, the last three weeks, we have seen more activity in terms of investment capital coming into the industry than we've seen since the beginning of the year. And in fact, last week, the weekend in May 1st, it was the first time this year that there were more capital raise transactions that week of 2020 than in the same week in 2019. And that is no small um, achievement because the cannabis industry, as you guys know, has been in a very significant decline valuation-wise, multiple-wise, market cap-wise, really since April of last year. So despite the fact that we're still in this COVID-19 situation, to have a week last year excuse me, last week, that exceeded capital raising in the prior uh, uh, 2019 period 
quite significant. So whether it's the recession-proof nature of the of the product of the industry, whether it's the fact that valuations have gotten down to very attractive levels, whether it's the fact that in 2019, the legal cannabis industry in the U.S. recorded record levels of sales at the dispensary. Um, all of this is starting to come together to, I think, show investors that this industry has sustainable growth among the top companies, profitable growth. And with the valuations where they are right now, there's reasons to place bets again. Well, it, it's it's really good to hear that because uh, that's what we've seen at the law firm. Uh, that's what we've seen from our clients is that there is continued activity. Now, all of that, despite the fact that the news, again, uh, focusing on the news as a general thing, has uh, has really not led us anywhere in recent years. But as we look at industry-specific news, um, the so-called precipitous decline in M&A activity in the cannabis industry. Certainly, uh, the beginning of 2020 wasn't like the beginning of 2019, to your point. And certainly, with the shutdowns that happened across the country uh, beginning in and around March, that affected things and shocked people and caused everyone to push a big giant pause button on what they were doing. But that didn't seem to last very long for folks that really know what they wanted. And it sort of goes to that old adage of uh, the, the notion in terms of if you track what large investment firms look at when, when there's uh, distress and when there's crisis, it does create opportunity. Um, and, and that seems to be what you're seeing out there, that people are, in fact, looking at this industry. Maybe you could comment on that for a moment. There's no question about it. You know, one of the main benefits, we believe, of the Verdian Cannabis Deal Tracker is that we are really tracking the flow of capital, not only into the industry at large, but into the 12 different sectors of the industry as we've categorized them from cultivation to retail to ag tech, software, infused products, et cetera. Because you can look back over decades on Wall Street, and some of the most profitable research firms are those that get ahead of the flow of capital as it moves from one sector to another, one vertical market to another, one type of security to another. That's what investors live on because you're trying to get ahead of that trend and trying to get a position in the market at the right pricing before capital floods in and makes that pricing more expensive. That's exactly what we track. And what we're seeing, to your point, is a couple of things. Yes, capital has started to flow back into the sector. Not in the same way, though, that it was in the beginning of 19, as you described, when we were in the midst of a multi-year bull run in terms of capital availability and valuation in the sector. The changes we saw were a few. One, what was a sector that was attracting in the majority equity capital, where investors were not so concerned about the downside, but were really willing to chase the upside and take the risk of being a common stockholder or a preferred stockholder versus a debt or a lender, that's completely changed. There was almost no debt financing in the industry 
from 2016 to the beginning of 19. Since then, we've seen almost 40% of the capital coming into the industry coming in the form of debt. And that shows you a couple of things. It tells you that while investors want a position in the space, they are concerned about the downside. They do want the protection of a lender. They do want the security of a lender. But even within that, the majority of the debt financings have been in the form of convertible debt. So that's telling you that while investors, lenders want to come in as a lender on that side of the balance sheet, having security on assets or security on cash flows, they want the convertibility of equity. They want that upside. They want that sweetness. So that's been a little bit of a change. Secondly, the majority, and I'm talking almost 80%, high 70s, 80% of the capital that's coming into the industry this year have gone into the public cannabis stocks. So again, that's telling you that while investors want to be positioned to make money in the growth industry of cannabis, they want liquidity. They want to be able to get out. And the best way to do that is investing in a public company, albeit public cannabis companies have great variants in the underlying trading volumes, it still offers you an ability to get out. So they're coming in in the form of debt, and they're coming into public companies. And the third thing that we've seen change through COVID is that there's more of a diversity in the sectors that investors are investing in. Prior to, let's call it the middle of last year, Almost 75% of every dollar invested in the industry since 2015 went into cultivation and retail, went into the licensed supply chain from growing, processing, manufacturing, distribution, dispensary. Ultimately, that is the origin of it all. That's the infrastructure of having a growth facility, having a a processing manufacturing facility, distribution, and then the storefront. So it was really the building of the infrastructure of the industry. That's changed. And in fact, last week, we had the biggest diversity in terms of where investor capital went in the, in the five years that we've been tracking this stuff. So capital went into infused products and extracts. Capital went into biotech pharma. Capital went into consumption devices. Capital went into hemp, capital went into software, and ag tech. So we're seeing a bit of a maturation in the industry as to where it's not just cultivation and retail, not just the state licensed supply chain that's attracting investor capital. We're seeing much more of a spread, a diversity of investments across different sectors. You know, uh, Scott, one of the things that just it doesn't seem that prevalent in the industry, and I, you know, it is a nascent industry, as Bob said. It's it's an industry that's even hard to define, which is why I, you know, I'm very interested in the twelve sectors as you've defined them. But you know, with the deal tracker and with the work that you've been doing at Viridian to build these year over year analytics and and looking at the data over this long period of time, just talk about for a second the value that this brings to the industry, the value that this, you know, the importance for investors at having a tool that you provide, which is 
looking at the flow of capital into the industry, how commonplace is a, is a deal tracker or something like this in other industries, non-cannabis industries? And what do you think, you know, going forward, um, you know, just what will investment really look like, especially looking at these, you know, how it's shifted since you started looking at it five years ago? Well, thank you for that question. Um, I'll be very honest with you. When we opened our doors six years ago, our first assignment, and the reason I, I even started the firm is because before Brilliant existed, I knew a couple of seed investors and cannabis companies, and these were companies that were applying for licenses, and lo and behold, they were awarded the licenses in a couple of different states, and now they had to raise money to stand up the operation. And so the call came in, hey, Scott, I, 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 I know you're not involved in this industry, but I'm looking, I've, I've got to raise $8 million, $10 million, $12 million bucks. just want a license. you have any idea what it's worth? you have any idea what the valuation should be? Do you have any idea what the structure of the security should be? And I said, no, but let me go find it for you because somebody on Wall Street has had to have put together a comparable company database that's who does it, typically the investment banks, that are covering different sectors. So I went to look for it, and lo and behold, not only was Wall Street not present in the cannabis industry, but there was no comparable company database. That's what literally led to the creation of the Viridian Cannabis Deal Tracker, because you know investors live on data. Acquirers live on data. Operators live on data. And having done this for almost 30 years right now, it was just, it was as big as an opportunity as starting Viridian as the first investment bank. So we started the tracker. What's the value of it? You know, the value of it is both to operators, investors, and to acquirers. So for investors, it's what I said before. We give a heads up as to how the flow of capital is changing Week to week, it's not just year over year. It's week to week, month over month, quarter over quarter, year over year, which gives our investors the ability to get ahead of that flow of capital into new sectors. Critical. That's what these database, databases have always served. They've really served the investor. Um, to the acquirer who we represent or to companies we represent selling to acquirers, what the hell is your company worth to a public company buyer a private company buyer, a financial buyer, or a strategic buyer. And it's different by state, it's different by country, it's different by license type, it's different by sector. So before you go out and ask us to sell your company, let's have our ask in hand. Let's not leave the value of our company and the consideration that we're going to get in the hands of the acquirer. That's too passive a, 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 a strategy to make. So we get hired to do the valuation analyses when we're raising money for a company, when we're bringing deals to an investor, or when we're selling a company. And that entire valuation analysis, the credibility of it, the, the validation behind it, it all comes from the Viridian Cannabis Deal Tracker. So going forward, what we're evolving to is much more discrete metrics. If it's debt, is it convertible? If it's convertible, is it convertible at, at a 20% discount for the next round? Or is there a valuation cap? If it's straight debt, what's the coupon in the term? 
if it's equity, is it common or preferred? We're adding more and more metrics because ultimately the thousands of readers that I think rely on our tracker every week, they're using it to make decisions on capital allocation, capital expenditures, acquisitions, and capital raises. That's ultimately what the value of the tracker is to our constituents, our clients. Well, let's talk about how you access the tracker. Uh, how do you sign up for it? How regularly do the reports come out? So forth and so on, so that our listeners can understand how they can get access to this data. Sure. So uh, we do put this out on a weekly basis. Uh, we've got about 500 different inputs into the algorithms that are behind the tracker so that we're on top of the deals that are happening in the industry globally every week. Quite a big job. But we, we you know, allocate the time and resources to do it. Uh, the tracker goes out every Wednesday. The tracker for this week went out about an hour ago. Um, you could go on to our website. It's free to subscribe to it. You just have to fill out some information about yourself, your name, the company you work for, uh, your email address, that kind of thing. And it goes out every week. So Viridian CA stands for Viridian Capital Advisors is our website. You go on and fill out the dialogue box there. Uh, as you guys know, we not only put out the weekly tracker, we put out monthly synopsis of, uh, uh, of that capital markets activity that happened for March, February, January. So all investment activity, all M&A. We do the same on a quarterly basis. We do the same on an annual basis. And we also do uh, customized research. For example, we put out three weeks ago the impact of COVID-19 on the cannabis and hemp capital markets. So we're always looking for ways to drive more value out of our data. Uh, but it's very easy to subscribe. You just go on our website and fill out some information. Well, Scott, you know, we, we've talked so much. We've even, you know, talked about it in this conversation about an essential business. I certainly look at the work that you're doing through the deal tracker, through Viridian Cannabis Advisors as an essential service. It, this is, uh, you know, this is a, a, a pillar to cannabis investment, an absolutely critical piece that is needed. Um, and, you know, this is something that we'll be keeping a close track of. We will definitely be having you on the Hoban Minute uh, on a regular cadence so that we can keep up to date with what activity is happening in the cannabis investment sector. We thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. And uh, stay safe Stay safe out there, my friend. Well, right back at you guys. Hoban has been in the middle of this industry for many, many years. So uh, thrilled to be uh, participating with you. Likewise, Scott. Thanks again for joining us. And we will connect again real soon. Thank you, guys. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hoban Minutes special series on coronavirus and cannabis. You can head on over to hoban.law for more information on this podcast or the Hoban Law Group. If you have any ideas for subjects that we should be covering or any questions you want to pose to, to Bob or myself, shoot us an email at media at hoban.law. Stay tuned for the next episode on this special series, Coronavirus and Cannabis. <laughs>